So welcome everybody and thank you for coming along this evening. It's good to see some, some familiar faces um, and obviously a lot of new ones. Some of them are, are landlords we already help already, but they've not been to one of these events before. So thank you for coming. Um, so this evening, first of all, I have to get the bits out of the way with regard to fire. So should you hear the fire alarm, there isn't um, a practice schedule for this evening, so if it does go off, if you hear the fire alarm, then the, the way out is through the door here, down the stairs, out the way you came in, towards the car park, and over by the entrance there, I think, is the, is the meeting point. So that's where you should go. So that's that. So again, welcome to uh, this um, Investors and Landlords evening. The idea of it, we put it on for free, and it, the idea of it is for you guys to understand a little bit more about what we do as a company to protect you as our clients when it comes to renting out your properties. There's an awful lot of legislation that's changing constantly, as you all know. Um, we don't expect you to keep up with it. We don't expect you to be able to do that with your normal daily lives. Um, Luke, I think, spent three days last week putting this material together and going away on courses and talking to different people in order to make sure that the information we give you is as accurate as possible. Unfortunately, in about six months' time, it will be outdated and there will be new legislation in to try and trip you up. It seems to be at the moment that the government and everybody, I'm getting a bit political now, but always wants to hit the landlord, hit the investor. And at the end of the day, then they say, we haven't got enough housing, we need more housing. Can somebody please provide it? So that's what we're here to do this evening, is to try and help you and to advise you and educate you into uh, a little bit more about what, what, we, what we can do to help you and what you need to do to help yourselves. So, my name's Glenn Reader. I'm the manager of Knightsbridge. Uh, I've been in the industry 31 years. It's my 32nd year now, hence I look like this. And, uh, you know, after the event, so things are slightly different this time. So for those of you who've been before, as you know, we outgrew the room. We started this three, four years ago nearly now. And we started in our office on Queen's Road. And it seemed like a great idea. We just turned the desks the other way and invited people along. After the second one, we realised it was very popular and we outgrew the office, couldn't get another person in the door. Expanded it to here. We're almost at the point now of capacity with this room. So normally we have our friends and, and associates, contractors around the outside of the room. We can't do that because there's not enough space. So the idea this time is that we'll talk to you, we'll try and keep you awake during the entire experience, and we will make sure that afterwards you've got an opportunity, we've got a room over the far side where you can go and get a coffee on your way, pop into that room, all the people you need to speak to are there. You've got various contracts we're going to go through in a second. One thing I do want to mention, thank you, come on in. You can sit right at the front with me, look. I knew you'd like that. So, we've got these badges. Now this is for childhood cancer. Um, we don't charge you for coming here this evening and it's not free to put on. So if you could dig deep into your pockets, a pound or more if you wish, just and get yourself one of these badges, we'd really appreciate it. We want to sell out this evening. We raise the money throughout the branches normally. Um, and as you know, we do other charity events and that throughout the year. So please do support us when you can because it all counts. Okay? That's the begging over with. 
So, is this working, this clicker loop? There we go. Speakers. So we're joined today by Colin. Uh, Colin is from Sycamore Energy. Colin has spoken before for those that have been before. And um, I'm not sure if he's going to touch on Legionnaires this evening, um, but he's certainly going to tell us a little bit more about what his role involves with regard to properties and your business, letting properties. We had, had noticed that, Jason um, from SDL Auctions. For those of you that don't know, we, we um, are associated with SDL Auctions. They lead all of our auctions for us. We do both online and in the room auctions. Um, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but unfortunately Jason can't make it this evening, so we've been kindly joined by Alan. Where's Alan hiding at the back there? He's probably a bit nervous because he didn't know he was doing this until about an hour ago. So um, Alan's from SDL and he's going to talk to us and give you a bit more advice about auctions because I think there's a lot of a, a myth about auctions and how they work. They're not as bad as you think. Then we've got Luke Sinclair, obviously director of Knightsbridge and also the go-to person for information regarding legislation changes and all the information. And again, Luke will go through, he's got lots of slides and you will need your pens and papers, which is why we put them in. Did you all get pens and papers in your packs? You'll need them because that's the time when you start taking notes. And then, oh me, then you've got me again at the end. So a little bit about another change that we've made this time. So normally I do a talk at some point during the evening about investment properties, HMOs and that kind of thing and how to make more money. I am going to still do a little bit at the end and it is going to be a short piece, I don't want to bore you. But during the handovers, I'm going to release some properties that you don't know about yet. They've not been online, they've not been for sale, certainly not recently. And these are properties that I deem to be good investment <coughs> properties. And I'll explain it one by one when I get them. So if you like what you see there and you want to book in to see those properties, I've done block viewings for, I think it's the 25th. In the room over there, my colleagues have got more information for you. They've got a handout with all the properties that are available that we're talking about this evening. And they will also take your details and get you booked in. As you can imagine, with this many investors in a room, with only half a dozen or seven properties, whatever it's got, you need to go and see them at the opportunity you've got to go and see them. Okay? Does that all sound fair enough? Yeah. Okay. Luke may do a Q&A, depends on how you feel. Normally people are quite invert, they don't, they don't want to join in um, at an investor's evening. You know, I am here to warm you up, a bit like what they do on the, uh, when they're doing them big shows in, in the Palladium, but uh, I'm not as good as that. But Luke may do a Q&A, so if you do have questions, make a note, and then at the end of his session he'll do, the, he'll, he'll do a little Q&A with you. Okay? So... I think that's it for me. Oh, I will just tell you who else is with us this evening. So we have uh, Greg and Richard from... Um, there he is, what are you looking the other way for? <laughs> Greg and Richard Walton, Holton, you never know how to Holton. say it. Holton, sorry, silent W. Um, they're one of our main contractors that we use throughout Knightsbridge, both for sales and lettings. They're there to give you any information that you might want to know about renovation works. We have Paula and Abby, just there. They're from our uh, recommended solicitors, Edward, Hans and Lewis. Uh, I think you guys, you're both based in Loughborough. Yeah, both based in Loughborough, but we use Syston as well as, a, as another office and also Market Harborough. 
Some of you have used them before, I know. Um, John and Sarah from Professional House Surveys, over there. So uh, they're more than happy to have a chat with you. And so all these guys are based in the other room. We've got Rashid and David from Howden's at the back there. Have I forgotten anybody? Tedge, where's Tedge? Over there. And Tedge, our friendly accountant, will be happy to talk to you and give you any advice um, with regard to your accounting matters. Okay. So I think it's time now to hand over, thank goodness they say, to Colin. And I've done all of those. I forgot to use my click. I do apologise. Colin. Thank you. Which way does it go? Uh, to the right. To the right. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Colin from Sycamore Energy Assessors. I'm a domestic energy assessor. I was trained in 2007 when the infamous Home Information Packs came out. I've carried out 16 to 17,000 EPCs in that time. Um, they last for 10 years. So you can imagine once we've done one, you're waiting 10 years for it to come back again normally. Although sometimes there are reasons why you have to do a second EPC. Over the years, uh, solar panels, they had to have an EPC. The insulation scheme had to have an EPC. Uh, the main topic tonight is one that we did last time, uh, but it's so important at the moment, is the means regulations. So from April 2019, just gone, uh, it, it became illegal to rent an FOG rated property to a new tenant moving in. So if you get a new tenant to a property, you're not supposed to rent that property to them. It does come with a, a maximum £5,000 fine, so it's quite serious. But there are exceptions to that. So if you've got an FOG rated property, initially the government said, at no upfront cost to the landlord for improvements. Well, how do you make a, an improvement without any cost? So everybody was exempted. So they realised the mistake, and they've now stuck a £3,500 cap onto that uh, for spending. But that's on lower cost measures. So an EPC covers all parts of the house. Floor insulation, wall insulation, loft insulation, windows, heating. To replace the windows in a house would normally cost 4500 minimum. So therefore, it automatically becomes exempt. So if you've got single glazed windows, it doesn't mean you have to go and replace them all at a high cost. So normally we're looking at lower cost measures um, room thermostats, radiator valves, low energy lights, loft installation, things like that. But if I can read you a quick email I've had tonight on the way here. Um, so this was from one of my, my uh, estate agents at Melton Moby. The, the property came in as a G-rated. So you would think, oh, they're going to really struggle. But there was lots of small things they could do. So I went, did the first EPC, recommended seven items. Loft insulation, room thermostat, TRVs, lighting, um, more insulation on the jacket, a thermostat on the jacket, and also draft proofing. Asked to go back, we've done all that, so I go back and they've only done three of the items. They haven't put a room thermostat in, they haven't draft proofed windows, haven't put more uh, water cylinder insulation or thermostat. So I told them, I'm sorry, it's still not compliant. So now they're doing it again, and now he's emailed me tonight. I am struggling on this one. The heating thermostat for the room is causing a problem. The heating engineer said it would be nothing he can do and it would need an electrician. The electrician says he's never known this to be needed and the 
Thermos radiator valves would do the same job. So the electrician's telling the heating engineer how to do his job. So he says, I don't know what to do next. So he's, he thinks he's got a problem, but basically he just needs to tell the electrician, just put a room thermostat in, and then he's sorted. So they would have spent about £800 on that property, all in all, because they had to pay for the loft insulation. And then they can register it on the, there is an exemption register, where you can exempt the property for five years if you've done all the minimal measures. So the only thing left on that EPC after they've done their measures will be items that cost over 3,500. So even though they've only spent 800 pounds, they can legally exempt that property for, for, for five years on the register. And then they'll have it again. Now the next problem is that in April 2020, it's a minimum E on all properties, even if you've got sitting tenants. So you might have had a tenant in there for five, six, seven years, no problem. Now all of a sudden you've got to start looking at the property. But that's only if it's got a valid EPC. So if those tenants have been in there for say 12, 13, 14 years and the property's never needed an EPC, you don't have to worry because you don't come under the means regulations. But if the property's got an EPC on it and it's valid, if it's in date, then you do need one. Obviously if those tenants leave, you then need to get one anyway because it will come under the new, well, under the regulations of having to have an EPC. And then, in 2023, they're proposing to make it an EPC D rating on any new tenancy. So they're taking up even higher. Now, assuming they stick to the same rules, if you've already done all the lower cost measures, if they don't increase the spending, then you will still be exempt and you'll just re-register it on the exemption register. But you never know with governments whether they'll increase that to 5,000, 6,000. And then if they do, it will bring other things in you can do. So we won't know until they release more detail on that. And in 2025, oh, that's 2030, must have missed one, uh, it, they are proposing to take it up to C rating. That is only a proposal. The D rating in 2023-25 is actually already confirmed, but they're talking about an EPC rating of, of C in 2030. Right. One of the things is, one of, one of the exemptions is you cannot force a tenant to have an improvement. You can only, you can only make uh, repairs or maintenance. So if they've got electric heating, and you think, well, I've got to put a gas boiler in to, to, to compare it. You cannot make them. You have to get their permission. So one get-out clause, in a way, is if, uh, if the tenants are no, I don't want that. I'm happy with my electric heating. I don't have it on much anyway. I'd never use the gas. I refuse. Then you would have to show that you've tried. You'd have to write them a letter, get them to sign the letter, say they refuse. Then that would be a method of exempting the property on the register. Now, I'm sure there'll be some landlords who would probably do that, um, you know, but if that tenant leaves, then it's then going to need a new one anyway, and then there's no, that exemption will become void because there's no tenant there, and a new tenant can't refuse to have it. Well, I've already touched on this, really. Um, any, any recommendation valued at higher than £3,500 can be ignored. Uh, all low-cost measures need to be carried out with a spend up to £3,500. Now, EPCs are valid for 10 years, 
but they've changed an awful lot in that time. Um, in the older versions of the EPC, floor insulation. I mean, to me, pretty pointless, but floor insulation, they used to say 1,800 pounds, so you would need to do it. On most properties now, it says 4,000 pounds, so it's now exempt. So, without wanting to get myself more work or the energy system more work, if you have an update EPC, some of the things that used to be a problem now aren't. So it's worth checking to see before you go and do any works on a property if that is still required under new EPC rules. Oh, that's just a, a little thing graph I got there. Tomorrow, uh, I'm not working from 12 o'clock, I'm on strike for the uh, climate. Okay, so if anybody wants to give me any EPC orders tonight, 50% uh, of, of the cost of that will go to planting trees to help the climate. Oh, and we're at the end. I also do floor plans and uh, you mentioned HMOs. Uh, I've had a very busy summer doing floor plans and lead United risk assessments for uh, landlords with HMOs under the licensing rules now. If you apply for a new license, there's three things from my side of things that they ask for. EPC, Need you know the risk assessment and floor plans and measurements on. So I've had a very busy summer doing that. Uh, Glenn mentioned need you know the risk assessments. It's still a grey area. Most people might not know about them. But it is a legal requirement on landlords to assess their property for the risk of legionella. Basically it means you have to do a risk assessment. If you don't, you could get prosecuted if there's a problem arises that property. And I uh, have seen some Certain things would definitely cause problems. Had tanks changed, tanks contaminated. Actually had a case of Legionella in Leicester in the Bocker Flats because it had been empty for eight months. Most people say, oh, it can't be bothered, we don't, we don't get Legionella. But you do, because if the property's empty, student lets, let over the summer, it can get contaminated and then you've got a problem. And it costs that landlord 800 pounds to have the system cleaned out. It was only found by chance because it was in a block of flats, the management company were doing uh, tests on the, on the main tanks, and as part of that process, they have to do so many flats. And they happened to pick this flat because the tenant was in, and they actually found Legionella in the water. Um, now that could potentially kill somebody. And if it had, that landlord at the time hadn't done a Legionella risk assessment, he could get prosecuted and go to jail for that. Okay, mostly you hear about this in commercial cases, um, there was a place at Wolverhampton, I think they had uh, the hot tubs and they hadn't done their due diligence on the Legionella. Some people caught it and died and they got prosecuted under that law. It is exactly the same law, whether it's a hospital, a big hotel and now private landlords renting just one house, one flat, whatever, you come under the same legislation. So it is a legal requirement to assess that property can do it yourself, there are online forms, but obviously you then take the risk and you have to prove your competence to do that. So uh, that's just another field that we do. I think it's it then. You think it's it, thank you yeah. Colin for that. I'll go back to the back now. I think now before you do that, yeah. would you like to ask Colin any questions? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you like to ask Colin, put them on the spot. Thank Ooh, you. Go on then. Yeah, any property, any any rented property has to have an assessment. 
whether you do it yourself or you, you employ a professional like myself to do it. Yes. Yeah, the, well, the, the government never actually um, stated a time limit. What they said is it needs to be reassessed in a reasonable period. Now, the industry has taken on board two years. So my insurance only allows me to give a maximum of two years. If it was a combi boiler and there's no issues, then we automatically put two years. If it's a tank system, we normally recommend every 12 months. Some people, some landlords are, are having the first one done and then, you know, watching the process and, and doing it again after that in a reasonable period of time themselves. Or so they tell me anyway. <laughs> hmm? um, what's the cost? Sorry? What's the cost of the risk assessment? The, the Legionella? Yeah. Oh, can't see where I'm talking to. Uh, we, we charge £60 plus VAT for, for standard, a standard property. Okay, there was a gentleman over there as well who put the hand up. Do you have another question? This chap here, did you want to? Yeah. Yeah, if you exempt your property for five years, yeah. what happens at the end of the five years? Well, you come off the register and you, you have the chance to exempt it again if it's still valid. You have to re reassess it after the five years. It is a self-certification type of thing, a bit like the fence of windows. So you actually register it on the thing. You don't have to get permission to do it as such. But obviously, once you've put it on the register, you're highlighted to the people who are watching. So it does, it, the register does ask you to provide documentation. So if you, if you say, I've spent three and a half thousand pounds, they'd want to see invoices, you know, dated recently, you spent three and a half thousand pounds. If you say you've done all the lower cost measures, they want to see an EPC, which just showing the higher cost measures. Okay, can you, any of the back there, It's also worth noting as well, you struggle to get a mortgage on an F4G rated property for a buy to let. And one of the catches of, of the government scheme is they said, well, landlords can borrow money. If they've got to make improvements, they can borrow money. But you can't get a remortgage on an F4G rated rental property on a buy to let. So you're kind of like stuck in a way. You'd have to make the improvements first. And then I remember I bought my first house, we had a retention on it to do the windows and the chimney or something like that before they released the rest of the mortgage. So there is that side of it as well. Any other questions? Katie, go for it. If the property is an old property, like a lot around Clarendon Park and things, how do you get a C rating? Because I know there's, you can do the floor insulation and all the different things you say, but it's still their old Victorian it, house. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, if they're mid-terraced and stuff like that, with a, with a good boiler and, and, like I say, loft insulation, double glazing and stuff, sometimes they do reach a sea. It really depends. If it's an end terrace, end terraces are a real problem. Sometimes you can get an end terrace that will be an F-rated, and it's exactly the same as the one next door, but it's got that big gable end that's exposed. I do a lot of work for a, a country estate um, out in Rutland with a, with a castle near it, and uh, they've got 300 properties. Yeah, I do. I love it going there. But they've got 80 properties that are FOG rated and we're working through them all. Uh, I go out, do the initial assessment and I say, right, you need to do this, this and this. They get their maintenance guys to go and do it and they go and do it and then they exempt them for five years. So that, they'll, they'll have a, at least 80 properties exempted. In the country, it's far worse than in the city because there's no real excuse for city properties to have FOG rated properties. You, usually you've got maids gas. In, in, in the country, you know, where they've not got it, and it's an old house built 200 years ago, there's not always a loft in them as well. So quite often the roof is sealed, so there's no loft. Loft insulation makes a big difference. Actually quite annoys me when I do rental EPCs. I go around and I see loft insulation of like that much. Because for years now there's been grants. Because the problem is the people who do the grants, they send door knockers out and knock on the door, and it's the tenant who says, oh, well, it's not my house. So they just move on to the next one, and they've been missed. If I was doing something, I would say any rental property has to have 250mm loft installation in it. I think there's talk of, I don't know whether you've heard in more Leicester City Council, they're talking of doing a, a uh, scheme, aren't they? Mm -hmm. You know, as, as part of that, like the HMO, where it says you've got to have an EPC leisure, I'd like to see them say, you've got to have the loft topped up, because there's grants out there, you know, to get it done. And it, you lose so much heat through the loft. So, Colin will be. There are there are grants at, at the moment. It's only when you've got tenants on certain benefits. Uh, in the packs, I don't know whether my, my leaflets got put in, did they? Uh, yeah. It's not very. Uh, yeah, in the, in the other room, I've got leaflets. Uh, the the range of benefits is incredible. It's not like the old days when you just think of people being out of, out of work. Now there's a, there's probably about 30 different benefits that qualify a property. I've been doing a lot of work because obviously it fits in with the me side as well. Been a lot of work on that side. We get room the roof insulation, loft insulation. Boilers are banned now for landlords for rented properties because the last time they did it, they just all the money got et up by landlords within about six months. It was a three-year scheme and the money gone because the guys who, who promote that kind of stuff just targeted landlords because they knew they were they were fair game. So you can't get a, a boiler. But if you've got electric heating, you've got a low-rated property with electric heating and you've got the right tenant in you can get storage heaters put in, high heat retention storage heaters, which actually are like, very similar on the EPC score, putting a gas boiler in. So I've been to a property today, um, oh, what's it called, Duke Street, top floor penthouse with um, two students in it. Because they're students, they don't earn any money, they will qualify under a council scheme, and they had old electric panel heaters in. And one thing you find is in the the tenants always say, can you tell them this doesn't work? Can you tell them that doesn't work? And they were telling me, every heater had broken at bar one. And, and I got talking to them, and it, I think they'll qualify, and, and hopefully within the next couple of months, they'll be getting some storage heaters put in. But if it had been a gas boiler, nothing can do for them. So it really depends what it is. There's different types. And, and I say there's a range of benefits. There, there are some leaf. Well, I've got some leaflets in the other room. Okay. Oh, another question. Well, I understand new builds, it's 2025. 
I understand that was a recent uh, thing. Uh, I don't know on, on second-hand houses. We won't, won't follow far along, far behind. Air source pumps are coming on massively, and there's a grant for them under the renewable heat incentive. Anybody who's got a low rate, road rated property could put one of those in. Uh, it's the problem of, of putting radiators in if you've not already got them. It's like putting a, a new system in. Uh, they, they're very good. There is something coming out called, um, well, I would call it infrared, but I think they call it IFAR heaters. And they basically look like a white panel like that and they give off infrared, which heats moisture, not the actual room. So it heats humans without giving them cancer or anything like that. It's very safe. And the problem with EPCs is we always work quite a few years behind, but they are coming in very soon into SAP, which is the, the, the new build EPC side. Uh, I think they're being allowed in. The BRE have, have passed them. So if you're doing a new build house, you can you can put them in low cost and then what happens with that follows on with EPCs. But yeah, I mean it's it's coming. It is. Um it depends how much they're gonna cost. You know, it's like anything they I sold solar panels. When you're in when you're in energy assessor, there's not enough work just doing EPCs. Uh, so I've done most things to do with energy. I sold solar panels. When I first sold my first set of solar panels, four kilowatt system was sixteen and a half thousand pounds. And the customer was over the moon with them because they were getting 42 and a half pence feed, feeding tariff. Now they're about £4,000 for exactly the same thing. I mean, obviously you don't get any grants, but actually the, the value of the, the electricity you generated is almost, you get almost the same return. And from next year, you can sell the excess electricity back to the grid, negotiate a, a rate with them. So that will be, solar panels will come back a bit again. Solar panels is another way. Uh, there's a company at the moment offering free solar panels to anybody with five properties, landlords, five properties or more. But you have to sign the house up to a 20-year um, contract on the gas and electricity or, or electricity. Uh, but they still claim you're going to save 20, 30 percent. So you said 2025? Yes, as far as I know, yeah. Actually, I mean, I could, I'd do it tomorrow because there's no reason for new bills to have gas in. They're so well insulated and stuff like that. You, you could have, you know, lots of different things to do it. Okay. Okay. All right, thank you, Colin. Okay, so Colin will be, as I say, in the other room. He's got some more information with him. Thank He's you, got Colin. my thing. Yeah, we need to take your mic off. I'm just going to kill time. Can't worry. Okay, so did you find that useful? Yeah? Good. <laughs> so, um, you may have heard although they kept it very quiet, there's this little thing called Brexit going on. And I only heard about it because they've just started putting it on the TV. And, uh, yeah, apparently it's going to affect the housing market. So I thought what I would do with you this evening is just give you... The, the, we produce these every month. You probably don't see them. Um, but these are for our, for our staff and our colleagues um, to talk to you about. And I just thought it would be useful for you to know a little bit about the market locally, just so our, as an independent agent. So this was the month of August. So during the month of August, we were entrusted to sell 47 properties. Um, we did 174 valuations, so it's not a small number, out of three offices, and we sold 40. So stock is definitely moving. That equated to £11 million worth of property sold during the month of August just by Little Old Knightsbridge. 
So when people say, what's the market doing? Look at my guys behind you, they're all exhausted. Okay? They're answering in excess. Where's Jake? Jake, how many calls are we doing roughly a day? Per person. Incoming and outgoing. So if you think the market's quiet, think again. For those of you that have tried buying properties, whether it be personally or for investment, you'll know if you snooze, you lose at the minute. If the property's priced right out, it goes. Our highest offer that we achieved on a property was 111% of asking price. So, you know, and, and the average that we're achieving, so from the property going on the market at a price to what we're actually uh, selling it and uh, at the moment is 98.8. So during the month of August. So it, it's not a small number. But I just wanted to share a few stats with you because I think those people, we're getting asked, as you can imagine, on a daily basis, what's going to happen, what's it going to do. It's been going on now three years and all I say at the moment is whatever it's doing, let it continue because we're all doing very well out of it. So thank you very much for your business. So on that, I want to now bring you on to the first property of this evening which is being offered for you. So this property is on Queen's Road. It's a little terraced house. Um, very tidy actually. When I saw the price of it, I thought this is going to be a bit of a mess. It's a very tidy property, so it offers over 165. Note the offers over, a lot of people miss that bit. Offers over 165. We're not sure exactly what it's going to sell for, but we know that as a bottom line that's where it sits. It's a two bedroom house, it can't be a multi let, but it's a tidy, uh, it's a t these are available, I just see you taking pictures, you're more than welcome, but these are available in the brochure outside when you're finished. Um, yeah, tidy little house. It does need, I think there's a little problem in the garden, so we've had somebody go around and have a look at the drainage, um, and also there's some pointing and that needs to be done at the back, so hence the reason we've priced it where we've priced it. Um, don't miss out on that one, viewings are next Thursday, uh, could be a good one for you if you're looking for a, a professional let, uh, or even first time buy if you've got family that want a little first time buy. Um, for those of you that don't know how I work these figures out, so with the gross return on investment, that's simply the income divided by how much you've invested. In other words, 165,000 I've worked it out as. It's going to give you 6% return. If you go for a buy-to-let mortgage, they're always my favourites because with a lump of money I can get you more properties. Buy-to-let mortgages, then I've worked these out on 3%, which you can probably get lower. I've got mortgage advisors in the room. There's three of them. Wave to the mortgage advisors, everybody. Look, there they are. Three of them in the room at the back there. They will be happy. They are buy-to-let specialists. They'll be able to give you advice and help and information. Um, so working out on 3%, interest only, and that's going to give you a gross return of 11% because you're obviously investing a lot less in the actual property itself, minimum 41250 So... Would a property like that be of interest? No? Yeah. Oh, we've got a couple of people, but they're staff, so they don't count. Okay. You're playing your cards close to your chest, that's the problem. I don't know what that's doing there. Apologies for that. There we go. So, the next one is on Ripon Street. Now, I popped down to have a look at this house today. Um, again, very tidy house. It's been lived in until recently. Uh, would make a good three-let because it's close to the university. It's just outside Article 4. If anybody wants to know about Article 4 that doesn't know what it is, please come and speak to me afterwards. My favourite subject. Um, 
but again very good very good price all you would have to do with this one in my opinion because the front room is a little bit on the tight side for legislation purposes for bedroom I would use the rear access as the main point of access uh, access close off the front door unless the person in the front room wants to use it and then you've got a good size double two doubles upstairs um, bathroom kitchen communal area and again you can see the figures there giving a good gross return on there because it's giving you that extra room to let okay so that's the are we okay? that's the two properties for now to whet your appetite as I say I've got about six or seven I think in total but hopefully you'll get the idea that these are properties that can earn you some very very good returns so on that note I'm not going to introduce you to Jason Lee um, that's not him I'm going to introduce you to Alan Ross who's very kindly stepped in so Alan's going to tell you all about auctions thank you all right, Alan you're welcome I'll leave it to you mate thank you I feel really important now you are really important can we I feel a bit like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit like Trevor MacDonald. You don't need to train your ass uh, Hopefully not. Good. good evening. So um, it was my national sales manager that was going to touch base uh, in relation to property auctions. Um, there is a bit of a myth, and yes, I'm a big guy, and I do want to give properties away. That's a lot of the perceptions that people um, put me in that bracket. Um, we're actually, it's about circumstance. And our relationship between offering an auction service um, with Knightsbridge is it's about the client circumstance. So there's probably only about 15 to 20% of stock that could potentially be an auction property. Um, this evening I'll also be hanging around later, possibly near the bar. Um, and please come and approach me. I'll give you some tips and tricks on selling and also purchasing. The reason I love um, property auctions and why I came out of traditional estate agency is I like the fact that sellers sell and buyers buy. And I don't like to be messed around. I'm just straight talking. You know, if you want to do business with me, do business with me. If you don't like me and you don't want to, or you're not a player in the market, please don't waste my time. We're talking about, um, from the seller's aspect, we're only dealing with motivated sellers. People that have said, up front, this is my reserve. This is the minimum I will take for my property. But please, give us offers. Give me an offer. Buyer, give me an offer. So if you've got a pen and paper, I'll try to give you as many golden nuggets as I can. First of all, if you're not registered with Glenn and the team, please register. And I'll tell you the reason why, is sellers that come to the market, whether it's online or in the room, they have the option of selling prior to auction. And I don't know, you can raise your hands if you like, have you ever been interested in an auction property and it's sold prior to auction? No? Yes, sir? And you're really, really agitated because you're like, I was going to go to the auction room or it said it had 10 days left on the online auction and it's sold, please register your interest. That's one tip. Here we go. So the myth and the perception is that the house, the house seller has to be desperate. It used to be the old death, divorce and debt. 
Now it's a case of possibly none of those. There might be in the circumstance where you've purchased a property, you've sourced it, you've got it for a good price, and you want to flip it quickly. And you still, there's still margins there. So it's not just for desperate sellers anymore. Only properties that are low end. It's not about the price. It's all about the client circumstance. It could be that price isn't the top priority when selling through an auction. It might be as you as a buyer, you may want it for less than market value. That's where the auction works. There's potential that those deals will be there. Um, people will say that there's big costs with putting your property into an auction. It's a risk. With us and Knightsbridge, there's an option where you don't pay any commission whatsoever. And you can't get a mortgage. I love that one. You can't get a mortgage. It's cash buys only. That's a myth. That is not true. If you're in a position where you can do your due diligence prior to going to the auction or even offering online, you can purchase via a mortgage. And too fast. This is where the modern method of auction is really great. You will find that somebody is motivated and speed is of the essence and most important factor here and not necessarily just price. But actually, the whole process is a bit too quick for them. Well, the online method means that you're able to slow down, list the property just like the eBay effect and you have a time scale. Normally, it will be in and around 28 days. As soon as you've exchanged, you've got a further 28 days to complete. So as a seller, it really works for you with, you're not that, ah, oh, I've got to move, I've got to move, and I've got to get the house cleared, and I haven't got any removals, and will it happen, will it not? The date's set, and it's more of a relaxed approach. So we offer the traditional routes of going into the room, which is at the King Power Stadium. In the room, it's pretty much you as a buyer. You bid, you nod, you wink, you have your paddle, and you would purchase the property. You'd be taken off into maybe a, a different office, and you would exchange contracts by putting down 10%. And you normally have 28 days to complete. Now, in that method, that's a great way of you knowing that you've secured the property there and then on the day. And also, from the seller's perspective, you know that your deal is done. We've exchanged. Great. There's also a different method, if you, wasn't, if you wasn't aware. The online method is exactly like eBay, as I've already said, where we will put the properties online, normally about a 21-day cycle, and we take bids, open bids. This method is very transparent. You can see what the bids are. And being a former agent, I really wanted to look after you, but I was never able to disclose what the current offer was on the property. And then I used to have people say, yeah, but Alan, I bought five properties through you before. Let me know what the offer is, then I know what to offer next. And we can't, due to the Estate Agency Act. However, when the properties are online, it's there for you to see. Crystal clear, you know what your next bid has to be. Oops, go back one. This is um, a slide that Glenn did ask us just to touch base with, with the unconditional and the conditional, is in the room, you would have exchanged contracts, um, you would have paid your non-refundable buyer's fee, you know exactly when you're going to complete. 
this method of unconditional can be used for properties that have been sold online and not just in the room. The conditional aspect is a modern method of auction. We do get a lot of interesting properties when they're listed for auction. This is where the seller has the option of being able to say, you've exceeded my expectations, I'm happy to take the bid prior to the time of running out. So hopefully I've educated you slightly on why sometimes a seller may want to sell before the auction ends. A legal pack. Um, don't sue me, so I won't. Can I just skip this slide? I'm only joking. A legal pack pretty much is it will have all your local searches already provided for you. It will have the property fixtures and fittings forms already filled out and any additional information that the property may have. So if that's any um, works that have been done to the property, fences, certificates, everything that you would normally have provided to you via a private treaty. When you're potentially looking to view an auction property, this is a tip from a buyer's perspective. Download the legal pack first and send it to your solicitor. Because then your solicitor is able to do the due diligence prior to you offering. Normally, um, through most agencies, not just ourselves, the legal pack will be there ready for you to download. If not, call the auctioneer company that information is available to you and can even be posted to you. So it's almost as though you can potentially get your mortgage in or your finances in place and you also know if there's any boundary disputes or anything else that might be untoward prior to bidding. Properties that are suitable for auctions. Um, one that's not on here, I had a quick look while I was out at the back there thinking I don't even know what these slides are. Um, one that's not on here is investment properties. I have a lot of clients that are coming out of the market and saying, what's the best way? The traditional agent across the country will say, move your tenant out because we want to have access to the properties as and when we want. And then the investor says, I'm losing my income and I've got to pay my mortgage. So you get caught in a catch-22. If you're selling through auction, it also allows you to keep your tenant. If an investor's interested, they'll normally put their money where their mouth is. I love that phrase. So not, I might buy, I might not, I might change my mind. We're asking normally for an upfront, non-refundable buyer's fee. That secures the buyer. In the legal pack, you would have already had your AST. And if that needed to be provided with in relation to any of the um, gas safety certificates, all that is already placed for you. So as an investor purchasing the property, you've almost vetted the tenant. You already know if you was, say, going through Knightsbridge, you know everything's fully correct prior to you bidding and taking on the property and the tenant. <coughs> so motivated vendors. If I asked you to raise your hands if you are an investor here this evening, and I said... Have you ever been messed around from a seller? Most of you would raise your hand. And you possibly was in a position financially to proceed. You was able to agree to a fixed exchange and a fixed completion date. And then the seller says, you know what, actually I can get more for it. Or you know what, I was just unsure. I was just testing the market just to see what my property was worth. 
by that point, you've probably already instructed your survey. You've probably already instructed your um, mortgage advisor. You've probably already paid three to four hundred pound in search fees. You're probably a thousand pound plus already into the deal. And then they've just changed their mind. So we're only selling properties where the client selling is motivated. Those vendors would normally be looking for speed and security. As a buyer, you know, seller's selling, buyer's buying. As a buyer, you know you can't be gazumped if you're purchasing a property through auction. As a seller, you know you're not going to be gazunded. That's why it works for both parties. Sales that have fallen through, we will get clients that are on the market and for whatever reason the sales fallen through, whether that's on survey, whether it's the Brexit, climate change, whatever the circumstances are, we often get clients saying, what do we do next? We've already been three months down the line, we need someone to buy it quick. They're the style of properties that come via our auction. Probate, probate, um, as I said, there's about 40% of our sales are currently probate sales or in and around probate where maybe someone elderly has gone into a home and home fees need to be paid. Um, divorce, unfortunately. And price reductions. I'll just touch on this. This is where maybe a client's tested the market, but they are actually motivated. And you as an investor, you've looked at the property it's just not quite right for me. If the clients may be looking to reduce 10 to 15%, that's where it may possibly come to auction. If you're not registered, you won't know about those deals. As soon as that contract's signed, we will mail you, we will make you aware. And that is when the potential seller will say, I'm happy, I'm happy, and I'll sell. Structural issues, I'm, I think I've seen one or two builders in here. Um, great if you're looking to add value to property. Especially if you're looking to refinance it later down the line. Development opportunities and land, and not just residential, we also work with commercial properties. This is quite simple, this slide is, why do properties work with the marketing with auctions? I look at it like this. That's the price a client wants to achieve. Private treaty, most clients want to go up there and it's almost a race to there. Through auction, it's the guide price that gets the attraction, gets the traction of viewings. So it starts here and we, you bid and you bid and you end up where the client wants to be. So that's the myth of, are we giving properties away? No, the client just wants to be there. And especially if a client's saying, I know it might be under market value, but I need to be sold. The guide price gets the interest. This is a killer question. If you're a seller, take note. If you're a purchaser, take a snapshot, or I'll try to get this across to the team, and this can be emailed. If you're a property sourcer, or you're trying to do it yourself, and you're registering with agents, and then you're looking to bring it to Knightsbridge to find you a tenant, would you like a fixed time scale for completion with the maximum price in today's market with the full security and non-refundable buyer's fee? If you are potentially purchasing and you're registered, let the team know that you're in a position financially to proceed. Because it may be that we're talking to clients 
And they say, what do we do next? The market slowed down. What do we do? Glenn, have you got a plan B, a plan C? It might be, yes, we've got 10 registered buyers that are in a position to proceed. How about we go down the auction route? It's a secure method of sale for you with a speedy transaction. Because the National Association of Estate Agents advised me yesterday in Coventry to talk over there that it's taken on average of 20 weeks from agreeing a sale to getting a sale through to completion. And one in four sales are falling through. That's me. Hopefully I've, I've helped you. Thank you. Quickly, if anybody's got any questions about auction, Alan's here to, to answer them. Anybody got any questions off the cuff now? No? They're being kind to me, aren't they? That's what they like with me. Nobody <laughs> wants to speak to me. Anyway, thank you, Alan. Now, for somebody who didn't know that they were going to be coming here and speaking this evening, I think you did a fantastic job, so well done, Alan. What I will say with regard to auction, and I invited Alan along here for that particular reason, is that the properties that we've put into auction uh, have, all, have all sold. Now, um, I think one sold after the auction, which we didn't really touch on, but I'm sure Alan will be happy to explain to you what happens if your property doesn't sell um, and, and how you can still pick up that property even after the auction. But also people worry, I think, that, and funny, I went to pick up my shoes before I came here and we've got a very good shoe repairer in Clarendon Park called Dillip, who loves to have a chat and he had one of his clients in there already. And his client said, oh, I had my house on the market for three months and it never sold. And he looked at me, I said, it's too much money. He said, but you don't know my house. I said, well, it's too much money because if it wasn't, it would have sold. And he said, well, I had another agent out and they came in and they valued it £50,000 higher, so I went with them. I said, you wonder why it didn't sell. Now, we were an agent that was invited out, and we were 80,000 less than that particular agent, and then he had it on with another agent after that. So what I'm saying is, and I explained to him, look, auctions are what they are. We all know with an auction, you put your property in the auction, the idea is you do it lean, you get lots of people bidding on it, they all outbid each other, and but we use that principle at Knightsbridge. So when we've got somebody that's really motivated to sell, they don't want to go in an auction, that's a principle that we use. We cannot undersell your property. Because if I put it on too cheap, you're going to be clambering over people through the door and they're going to outbid each other. The market will find its level. So I think, bear that in mind when you're looking at buying and selling properties. Okay, so... Next property for you, as I said, I'm going to release a few. So, the two that I'm going to tell you about now are both licensed HMOs. Very good buys, my colleague Rade, colleague and friend Rade, there he is, over the back there, has been to see these. I haven't seen these inside, so afterwards, if anybody wants to know about them, Rade will be more than happy to uh, explain them to you. And as I say, there are fact sheets about these properties, and we'll give you that information at the end. So I don't know of any banks that are going to give you a, a return on your investment of 20%. If you do know of any, please let me know. I don't have a lot of money, but I'd be happy to put it in the bank to give you 20%. Um, that's a good one. This particular owner looks after their properties. They're incredibly, I've only put one picture up here, but we have got a few others. Um, it's difficult with a, a student property because you know from the second they move in and pump their bags down, 
it's no longer like it was when we took the photograph. We'll come on to that in a little while. But we have some photos. They're not the best photos, but they are available for you to look at. And as I say, this particular owner does look after them. So when it becomes vacant in July and August, work is carried out to a good standard. Great returns, 20% if you have a buy-to-let mortgage, based on the figures that we discussed previously. The next one, similar area, not working, there we go. That's not quite 20%, but I think we'll settle for 19. Yeah, hopefully you'll be happy with that return. So there's the next two properties for you. Come and see us afterwards, we'll give you the information. I think it's Luke's ready now, yep. So I'm going to hand over to Luke now, Luke, if you will know. I hope you all follow us on Facebook and the various social media things that we do because we don't just do it for our benefit, we do it to get you the information quickly. So a lot of the landlords and investors that are with us know that if we're going to, we did a little video about testing smoke detectors and various things. These little snippets, they are gold for you because they will give you the information that you need and it's on your phone. You haven't got to come to one of these events twice a year, but we're glad that you do. So I'm going to hand over to Luke now. And, uh, Luke, Thank you very Luke. much. So get your notepad down now, this is the time. Okay, so um, maybe just a quick question uh, to ask the room from something that Colin talked about earlier, and he mentioned about EPCs being valid for 10 years. Um, for those of you that have investment properties, do you know if your EPC is currently valid, i.e. it's 10 years or younger? Yeah, are there anyone in the? Is there anyone in the room that has got a property that they let out and the EPC is over ten years old? So, i.e., it's not valid anymore. Okay, good, um, because it is quite an important one that we're going to come on to a little bit later. Um, so, if there is anyone in the room, I would suggest it is worth getting your EPC up to date because if you did need to rely upon it, then um, it could cost you a lot of money in the long run. So. Um, and just some of the information that we're going to be giving out today, uh, just as an example, um, we're talking about HMO and HMO regulations, and there's actually been the first banning order uh, registered against a landlord, um, and that was uh, in the press today. Um, so they've been banned from renting any rental property for five years. They've also had to return any rent that the tenant has paid because that is a repercussion of a banning order. So that is the first banning order that's been issued to uh, an English landlord, uh, which is in the press today, and that rent has had to be returned to the tenants. Um, but when it comes to uh, legislation, there's a, in excess of 150 pieces of different legislation that, that cover the private rented sector, um, varying from your typical gas safety checks, your Plugs and Sockets Act, um, these are a few of them uh, to, to name a name. So um, what I wanted to do is just give you a very brief update. Last time I talked about um, the Immigration Act um, and how there was a court case that had taken place in February. And that was by the Mr. Justice Spencer where it was claimed that by doing uh, the right to rent checks, it was actually an infringement upon someone's human rights. So that judge argued that agents or landlords should not need to be checking the right to rent status of tenants. That hasn't set a legal precedent yet. However, it is going to the Court of Appeal in January. There's two cases going to the Court of Appeal. Um, so at the moment, if you are a landlord, you are still required 
to check the right to rent status for all of your tenants over the age of 18, regardless of whether or not they're on the agreement. So even if it's maybe a son or daughter and they grow up and they become 18, you will need to check their right to rent status. Um, one thing to be aware of, um, and we're seeing an awful lot of this, is false passports. It's the number one forged document within the country, more forged than bank statements. Uh, you can buy a false passport for about £1,500. Um, and it's, there are ways of checking. Again, you've got to take those reasonable steps in order to verify um, that it isn't a false one and they do have that right to rent status. Um, so, uh, something I wanted to touch on was the Deregulation Act. Uh, again, this comes back to my question about the EPC. So, when it's an EPC, when you start your tenancy, um, you're required to give mandatory documents to tenants at the commencement of that tenancy. Um, and some of those documents are uh, the How to Rent Guide. So, you're required to give the How to Rent Guide. You're also required to give a valid energy performance certificate, uh, the current gas safety certificate, as well as the deposit certificate and accompanying uh, prescribed information. Now, you are required to ensure that you can prove that you've served that to the tenants, but also by tenants has everyone received a copy of that, not just the lead tenant, because when it comes to uh, the deposit, uh, those of you that have registered deposits, then you would usually nominate or they would nominate a lead tenant. But your requirement as a landlord is to ensure that that has been served on all of the tenants within the property. If you're getting an agent to do your letting or if you're doing let only, so you're managing the property, have you got that documentation if you need to rely upon it from your agent if you needed to serve the relevant notices to get a tenant out and they did not leave the property? Um, in terms of some of those documents, it also uh, is important to actually serve the correct version. So, for example, the How to Rent Guide. Um, those of you that are on my broadcast list, I let you know when things like that change. So the How to Rent Guide actually changed on the 7th of August. Uh, the government do a fantastic job in, job in letting you know by putting it on their website and not doing anything else with it. But that did change on the 7th of August. However, if you look at the revision date within that how to rent guide it still states may they have changed some of the wording within that document and if you can't prove that you've served the correct one after the 7th of august then you could have a repercussion in being able to claim possession of your property so again just make sure you have got the correct how to rent guide um, just a very brief one i talked last time and this may affect some landlords in the room um, about um, gas appliances that are actually outside the accommodation and this was Tracarol House Limited versus Roundsfield and this was a court case in February where it was a block of flats and there was a communal boiler providing the heating for that particular flat as well as some other flats within that block and the landlord needed to gain possession of a particular flat because uh, I don't know the exact reason but they had to go through the court process but because the landlord could not demonstrate that he served the gas safety certificate on that tenant, the judge did not award possession. That is going to the Court of Appeal in January. 
So they're two significant cases because there are blocks of apartments that do have or share, again, if you've got house shares, making sure that everyone gets a copy of that gas safety certificate, again, on the renewal of that gas safety certificate as well. Um, one of the big changes this year has been um, the Tenant Fees Act. So since uh, the 1st of June, it has been illegal to charge tenant fees within, uh, within a tenancy with a, with a few exceptions. Um, there has been an announcement today by Oxfordshire Council, and they have actually reclaimed for tenants £34,000 of unfair charged fees. So they've been targeting landlords, targeting agents that have still been charging these fees. And it's not necessarily just the upfront fees of maybe applying for a property, it's also the other fees, whether or not it's professional cleaning, uh, or insisting upon professional cleaning, um, checkout fees, check-in fees, all of these fees you can't charge your tenant anymore. So um, there are uh, some exceptions which we're going to be going through. Um, some of those exceptions are default fees. So if a tenant defaults on paying their rent, you can charge them a fee. Um, if you need to vary a sign or they need to surrender the tenancy, then there is uh, a fee that can be charged. The government do suggest the maximum is £50 for such fee. Um, that isn't set in stone, but you have to demonstrate if it's going to cost you more than £50 to uh, charge the tenant for it. Um, they do have to pay their council tax, so they can utilities. Uh, television license, communications, you can charge them a holding deposit. Uh, holding deposits are uh, another complex uh, piece which we're going to be going through very shortly. Um, and as part of the tenant fee ban there has now been a cap on tenancy deposits. So any tenancy that started after the 1st of June you can now only claim for five weeks rent as a deposit. And even if it's a pound over, you're then in breach of those regulations. Um, and also, if you start to renew tenancies now, so if you've got a tenant that was in a property prior to the 1st of June, and uh, let's say they've renewed for another six or 12 months, then you've got to refund the excess of what, you've, what you're holding. Um, so if you're holding two months rent, maybe because they've got a dog or three months rent because they've got a dog, you've got to refund the excess down to five weeks. Um, there is situations where you can um, kind of mitigate your risk when it comes to pets um, because there is a big market for renting with pets. So there is a way of mitigating your risks. Uh, with that, unfortunately, it probably is going to cost the tenants more money, but you've got to work within the system. Um, for those tenancies that haven't been renewed, um, by the 31st of May 2020, any excess monies held must be completed and returned to the tenants. So, regards, so even if it was a two-year tenancy, you've got until the 31st of May, effectively a year from when the legislation came in to refund any excess money. Um, if you don't, you won't be able to claim possession of the property back and there could be other repercussions. 
Um, one thing I wanted to touch on was holding deposits, um, because holding deposits are a way of trying to get commitment from tenants, because if they've not got to pay any money, maybe is there no commitment then from a tenant from then, a, and we're seeing tenants apply for several properties. Uh, we do take holding deposits as a, as a way of um, safeguarding the landlord's interests. Um, but uh, it's a maximum of one week's rent that you can take. You can only hold it for 14 days. Um, if you want to hold it for more than 14 days, then you need their written permission. Not verbal, verbal permission is not good enough. And also, if you are taking a holding deposit, it is to be withdrawn from the market. You can't continue to market that property or show tenants round. Um, that is another condition of taking holding deposits. Um, there is a way, so if the purpose of taking holding deposits is if you get to retain that money. So if you're a landlord, you can look at retaining that money, maybe if they've failed referencing, but you need good evidence as to why. So maybe they've not declared bad credit and they've come back and it's come back with a CCJ or it's come back with an adverse employment reference. Maybe they've stated they're earning X amount of money and it's way lower. So that's potentially uh, being deceitful on their application form. Um, but you can't charge extra money for having a pet. So what we used to do is we used to take two months' rent as a deposit for if there was a pet involved, or depending upon the pet, it could even be three months' rent. You can no longer charge that extra deposit. It is limited to five weeks. The way around it, or the way to mitigate your risks, is to increase the rent if the pet's involved. So you have a rent for not, no pets, and you have a rent with pets. So the rent could be £900 if it's just normal family, and it, it could be £1,200 or £1,100 if it's normal family with a dog or with a cat or, or whatever. So that is perfectly allowed, but you need to state that within your advertising. It needs to be clear and transparent and upfront, so it needs to be within your marketing, marketing blurb or description as to that you are that flexible to that. You can't suddenly just um, lump it on them at the last minute. Um, what, some things that you can't charge for, so you can't charge for drawing up the agreement, you can't charge for professional cleaning at the end of a tenancy, so even, even though you maybe had professional cleaners in at the beginning, you can't insist that they pay for professional cleaning at the end of the tenancy. You can't charge them for drawing up an inventory, you can't charge them for drawing up a schedule of condition, you can't charge them for doing a check-in, you can't charge them for doing a check-out. So there's lots of things you can't charge them for. Uh, the penalties, so um, it's uh, the council that are going to be policing this um, and one of the things that motivates the council for policing it is that they get, get, they get to keep the fines. Um, so the, for the first offence the fine is £5,000, um, for the next offence it's £30,000 because that is up to £30,000 should I say um, and that's if you commit it again within five years and tenants are becoming savvy about their rights and particularly when you've got ambulance chasers as well so you know like with the whole PPI thing and have you had an accident there are ambulance chasers out there now that are targeting tenants have you paid a fee after the first of we can get we can get you this um, so it is down to the council and one of the things like I said is because and they will police it because they get to keep the money so it's a way of raising their money
Um, so if you do um, ignore the tenant fee ban, what are the repercussions? You'll have to return that money to the tenant. Potentially you could end up having to return rent to the tenant as well if it's not been done properly, if it results in a banning order. So it has got to be quite severe for it to result in a banning order, but we've had the first case of it to announce today. So on a HMO property, sometimes that rent comes to £20,000, £25,000 a year. That's all had to go back to that tenant. So they've had the benefit of living in a property rent-free for 12 months. Okay, so talking about HMO licensing changes, um, this is something that I've been asked an awful lot about over the past uh, six months. And one of the reasons to mention it today is there was a, a bit of a dispensation given by the government for 12 to 18 months because they brought these regulations in on the 1st of October. But they appreciated at the time a lot of landlords, particularly student landlords, would have already agreed their tenancies in the September or prior. So they've kind of given a little bit of a waiver, but that kind of grace period is now coming to an end. So with the HMO changes, um, it's no longer floor specific. So before it used to be, it had to be three floors or more, five individuals or two or more households that form two or more households. So if it was a family of six, then it didn't class it as a HMO, but if it was a student house of five, then not related, then, and it was over three floors and it would have been what's called a licensed HMO. Um, now they've got rid of the floor, so it doesn't matter if it's just on one floor. And then there's the arguments about, well, does the basement include a floor? We don't really use it as a habitable room. It doesn't matter now. It's just those two criteria, so five or more people, two or more households. The cost with Leicester City Council is uh, £900 in order to get a, a HMO licence. The person or the licence holder, it can be an agent, uh, doesn't have to be the landlord. Uh, has to be a, a fit and proper person. Um, but there are management guidelines in place um, in order to help landlords and raise the standard when it comes to HMO properties. As with most things, this is advised from central government and then it's up to local councils to have their own policies, which is what we're in the Leicester City Council area. So we have to adhere by Leicester City Council's area. Government set what they feel should be the minimum standards, but then it can be interpreted differently by the council, and then they set their own. So for example, Portsmouth. So Portsmouth set a minimum, unless bedroom sizes are quite large, of 22 square metres for communal living space. Um, Leicester City Council have a different formula for working that out. Um, so one of these changes was the mandatory minimum room sizes for bedrooms. So from the Leicester City Council website is eight square metres. The government's advice is 6.51. Um, but uh, with the Leicester City Council, which is their guide, I've got lots of little bits. Uh, this one here. So, so, uh, so when it uh, when when there's been when there is adequate dining space elsewhere and cooking facilities are not provided in the room, it's eight square meters for one person. For a two-person room, it's twelve square meters. Uh, the kitchens need to be a minimum of seven square meters, um, and this is their shared dining space. This is how they calculate it at two square meters per person. 
Uh, some councils, so if you have HMOs outside of Leicester, this won't apply. They'll, be, they'll have their own guidelines. So like I said, with Portsmouth as an example, 22 square metres. But if their bedrooms, let's say, for example, they had a 15 square metre bedroom, then they could, at their discretion, knock a little bit off that um, because you, they've potentially got a bit of living space in their bedroom as well. Um, has anyone had to uh, evict a tenant recently? Not through rent arrears, but just because they wouldn't leave the property or you've asked them to leave a property because maybe you were going to sell it or you wanted it back for a family member or anything like that. Has anyone had to do that recently? Yeah, there's a few nods. So um, did you uh, serve a notice on that tenant? Did you do the correct procedure? So did you issue what's called the Form 6A notice? Okay, so um, for those of you that aren't aware, from the 1st of October 2018, if you want a tenant to leave for a non-fault reason, it is now, uh, it used to be called the Section 21, 4A and 4B uh, notice that you would send. It has now been replaced with a mandatory form called the Form 6A. Now, the Form 6A is one that you, you can fill in handwriting. Um, you can't alter it, you can't create your own version, you can't start putting your own little logo on. Um, you just use the form that's on the government website. They do change the form regularly. Uh, I think they've changed it a couple of times this year. And even the form that you should be using wasn't correct on the website. So when it was getting to court, they were throwing it out because the correct form hadn't been used, but you were downloading the correct one from the website. So um, it is important to make sure that you are using the correct the correct form 6a what you can't do is serve it within the first four months of a tenancy so you can't start your tenancy for six months and with some agencies or some landlords they would actually issue their section 21 at the same time to bring that tenancy to an end at the six months you've got to wait until month four um, it is now only valid for six months from expiry so you have up to six months in order to pursue that Form 6A notice through the courts if you want the tenants to leave, if they do not leave as a result of that 6A notice. You can't just turn up at the property, ask if they haven't left, change the locks. Um, one thing I want to touch on is what's called re retaliatory evictions. So this is, I've seen quite a few of these where landlords get um, fed up with tenants, maybe they're, they're making requests for repairs all the time. If you've got a tenant that's making requests for repairs, make sure you acknowledge and respond in writing. Because if it gets to the court stage and the tenant wants to make a representation and say, well, the boiler's not been repaired or I've had a leaking shower or the shower's not been working for the past six months, the judge can basically throw it, throw it out and you've got to start from scratch all over again. So, but if you've got evidence to say, well, I've, we've tried to get in to repair it, you've refused access, um, or you're not calling the, the plumber back, but you need that written documented evidence, just your written account of it wouldn't be good enough. So if it's an email, um, that's going to be the best, or, or obviously a letter. But certainly make sure you've got that written evidence around uh, repair reporting. Um, Form 6A and the, and the future. Um, I would urge anyone, uh, if you've got rental properties at the moment, the government 
uh, of doing a consultation to abolish the Section 21, so this is no-fault eviction, um, or asking tenants to leave a property. So uh, it's out for consultation at the moment, so they're basically going to say you can't ask a tenant to leave a property. Um, they are going to look at strengthening the Section 8 with three new grounds, um, and those new grounds are going to be on the basis of you want the property for a family member to move back into, um, you want to sell the property, or uh, it's because the tenant's not allowing you to um, maintain the property and keep the safety of the property. However, with those three mandatory grounds that would be under Section 8, they need to be within your tenancy agreement when you grant that tenancy to the tenants. If it's not, you won't be able to rely upon those mandatory grounds for a Section 8 notice. So let's say, for example, you do have intentions of maybe selling a, an investment property because you never know what the future holds or a family member moving in. When these legislation pieces come out, and we'll be uh, unveiling them as and when we hear more from government and when they come in, I can see it coming in next 18 months to two years, make sure your tenancy agreement, you get a tenant onto that new tenancy with those grounds for Section 8 when they refine the process. Because otherwise, when it comes to then asking them to leave because you want to sell it or because you want your daughter to move in uh, or you want to move back in, you're not going to be able to rely upon those grounds. So um, the government call it resetting the balance of rights and responsibilities between landlords and tenants. Um, there is a website that you can go to, so that's the website link if, again, it is a government consultation, so if you have strong views or you, if you wish to make a comment, you can go to that website and you can air your views and they'll take them into consideration. Uh, other landlord news that's out there. Um, Labour, if they come into power, they're looking at offering private tenants the right to buy at a discount. Um, that's one of their kind of manifestos. Um, and something I wanted to touch on, um, and I, I was at a meeting last week about this, and Airbnb and all service accommodation is becoming quite popular. Uh, it's quite an, an easy uh, industry to get into. You can register yourself with Airbnb. Um, but just be careful that if it's a leasehold flat, quite often there'll be a restriction that you can't do that on a service accommodation or Airbnb basis. There's not going to specifically mention Airbnb because Airbnb probably didn't exist when the lease was drawn up. But it will have complications in there. But also the, typically the insurance is probably going to be invalid because it's not a typical let. It could cause complications with your mortgage lender as it's potentially getting into it because you're running it as a business. and. Uh, it's more the commercial rather than uh, residential tenancy. And be mindful that you're not creating a business lease because then you're creating a renewable tenancy for those tenants if they stayed in there long term. Um, so it's something to be mindful of. So if you are doing Airbnb, make sure you're covering yourself with the insurance leaseholder permission. Um, we had one recently where they wanted to do Airbnb um, at the exchange building. Um, down by Lee Circle, and it forbids service accommodation Airbnb within that um, within that lease. Um, and the penalties for it is um, the freeholder can claim the possession of the property back if you basically just flout it. So you could end up giving up a £150,000 asset. It's got to get to a serious stage in order for it to to do that. 
but it's just be just be mindful to maybe do a bit more homework when it comes to Airbnb. Okay. So, yeah. Right, thank you, Luke. <laughs> so um, I just want to Q and A. So have you got any questions on what Luke spoke about this evening that we can ask for you quickly? Thank you. Yeah, so um, the, the section is still called Section 21 as far as the legislation goes, but when you actually send that notice to the tenant, the, the form that you need to send them is the form 6A. Um, and it's on the, the gov.uk website, so, um, and the version on there is the current version now. So, um, and it's, it's, it's a lot easier to fill in, because it, it, it's aimed at helping government form now step by step but yeah if you uh, even if for example if you just did a letter to the tenant say I want you to move out of the property at the end of your tenancy um, that wouldn't be valid um, and tenants are more wiser now with the internet social media citizens advice the council they only take that into the council and the council say well that's not valid so and No, two, two, two months' notice, two, but bear in mind if you're inside a fixed period, you've got to wait until the end of that fixed period, but make sure you're not issuing it four months, at least four months in. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. No, next question. Um, from, from our perspective, then we, we, I invest a lot of personal time in making sure that we're completely compliant when it comes to managing a property for our landlords. Um, so yes, so that's our service. That's our service level that we that we have that we have reviewed. But there's a lot of landlords that maybe do let only. Um, so um, we've we've other agencies because um, there are other agencies out there other than ourselves, and it's making sure that things like the Deregulation Act 2015 getting so those documents that have been served on the tenant because you never know that agent may not be in business in a year's time and if you need to rely upon it uh, particularly with a tenant B ban it's typically taking out 20 to 25 percent of a tenant in, uh, an agent's income at the moment um, which is generally their profit margin so how have they replaced that if they haven't replaced it are they going to be around in a year 18 months time when cash starts to run out so if you haven't um, got those documents it might be worth firing off an email or going to see them to try and get that evidence because you never know tenant could be great today but they could end up with some personal problems and fall into rent arrears or uh, you want them out maybe we had one um, where they moved the dog in uh, without permission uh, we've sorted it out the dog's now moved out but if they hadn't moved the dog out and you had to go down the possession route have you got the documents to prove when you send off your court forms Okay, good question, thank you. Next question. Yes, sir. Just a quick one, Luke. Yeah. Uh, with the new legislation, would you advise on, on fixed term rather than periodic? I think that's what you usually call it. Yeah, so, so you've got two types of periodic. You've got statutory periodic and contractually periodic. 
So you want to go on what's called a contractually periodic tenancy if you want to go month by month. Uh, the reason for that is that there was a recent court case, and we covered this on the last investor evening, is that tenancies less than six months, the councils have the ability to... Um, uh, sorry, when it's a month by month tenancy, the council have the ability to claim council tax from the landlord if the tenant doesn't pay. Whereas contractually tenancy, it means the contract renews each month. So you've got a contract in place. So I'd always recommend most tenants to start off on a six-month basis because um, it's a good kind of valuation period. But again, that's going to change with essentially the, the abolishment of the Section 21 because generally you would then want to ask the tenant to leave if they're maybe not keeping it in the way that you want them to. So maybe the garden's not being maintained, it's scruffy, that, that kind of thing. Um, but um, that may that may change because I know again the government wants to want to try and create more longer term tenancies. Uh, I know shelter want to want to achieve that as well. Um, hopefully that answers the question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would if you've got a good tenant in, then yes. Yeah, if you've got if, if you've got a good tenant in, then get them, keep them keep keep them secure because there's never more than a reason now to actually look at what else is around um, because they haven't got those fees to pay. Whereas before, for a tenant to move property, um, with ourselves for example, it was for a single tenant it was 180 pounds, for a, a couple it would be 300 pounds in terms of fees that they pay. But there's some agencies that were charging eight nine. Pounds, over a thousand pounds sometimes, and that all mounts up. Um, but now those barriers are gone, then, but equally the rents are starting to creep up now as well. So, okay, thank you. Question, sorry, sir, just this one. Uh, Eileen Quinn. Um, quick, two questions for you guys. Um, Airbnb, yeah. um, I know it's up and coming, and there's a lot of grey area in the industry about what the legislation is, what we can and can't do. Um, what percentage of you know, um, your, yours, um, the people that you're dealing with are starting to use Airbnb for their lets. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, I guess the easy answer is that most of them we turn down. Look, it's no, it's no secret that there's, there are people, look, this is going to shock you now, we're not professionally trained speakers, okay? We're estate agents. We do this to try and help you guys and help us in the long term get business. When you look at um, when you look at these people that run these courses, and they're out there because the people after they've been come to me bouncing in, and I can almost repeat word for word what they've been told. We give that information to you guys for free. So if somebody wants to come and sit and talk to me about investments, I'll give you that advice for free. All I ask is in the long term, you give me some back, okay? And I can make you a lot of money. Done it for years. With Airbnb, it's one of those things where there are companies out there, individuals out there that are now doing these talks. This is what you've got to do. You've got to rent to rent. I looked at it. Rent to rent, great idea. I'm going to have a lot of money, rent a property, rent it out again. In reality, as Luke's you, you solicitors last week, um, it's a minefield. You could cost somebody their property. Look, not all agents are the same. I hope you appreciate that. Not all agents are the same. There are most agents out there that don't know the things that we're telling you. So if you've got your properties with an agent that 
might be a really nice guy, really nice company, but they've not covered you back. They're not doing you any favours because the only time we get to hear about it is when it goes wrong. Because then we're left to pick up the pieces and to try and get you out of whatever hole you're in. Okay, so in answer to the question, minuscule, um, we get a lot of inquiries, and I'm very polite to them. A chap bought me a box of chocolates the other day, diabetic. Bought me a box of chocolates, and I said, thank you very much, but sorry, I can't help you. Yeah? That's it. Minuscule. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Um, my second question was, um, obviously, you guys are not able to recover the kind of revenue is building off, you know, um, some of the checking out um, fees, etc. Um, can you see uh, rental going up for everyone now? Because obviously, you've got to look at replacing where that yeah. revenue comes from. Yeah, it, it, it already is. Um, and um, what if you look at what happened in Scotland, um, so rent rose by something like 25-30%. So as soon as it got announced, so what again it depends what piece what piece of uh, legislation what piece of media you look at. If you look at once the ban came in, rents did rise massively. But if you look at the period from when it got announced to say a year after it came in, rents rose by about 25-30% in Scotland. Um, so, and again, the, the English systems mirrored itself and learned from the loopholes of the Scottish system as Scottish system plugged the gaps or the loopholes. And um, but no, rent, rents are certainly certainly rising. And the, the, the tenant income, again, you hear on the news that the tenant income isn't there to support it. From what we see in terms of tenant referencing, the income's there to support it. And the other thing with some of the new kind of piece of tech and uh, open access is something called open banking. I don't know if anyone knows about open banking. So, so we'll have access to knowing what the balance is in uh, tenant bank accounts when they make a reference. Is the money coming in from their employer? So it's going to give you a lot more information to make that, to make that kind of judgment on, on a tenant as well. So again, it's lowering that risk. I think that's useful. You, we were talking about it in the office because they say, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an owner. I own a property. And then in their statement, you can see that they're clearly paying rent every month. Yeah. So that's the, that's the that's, that can be quite a common one with tenants if they don't want you to do a landlord reference, just say they own the property. Um, and unless you do a land registry check um, or if you have that open banking check where, where you can do a bit more intrinsic with it, then... Um, it's, it's the way it's going, but open banking, I think, it's, in, in, it's not just this country, I think it's in 16, 18 countries around the world, so even overseas applicants now, it's becoming easier to, to reference them, whereas before it was more difficult. Okay, next Good question. Um, She's coming behind you with a mic, right there, Shannon. Ah, Claire. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? No. Oh, I can hear you, perfectly. Um, no, no. Talk, talk loud and I'll, I'll repeat what you say if necessary. Talk louder? Yeah. Right, <laughs> in you go. His microphone trained. I've got my question now. <laughs> right. Of all the things you've talked about, Luke, yeah. a lot of it's very tedious. Yeah. What really worries me is the proposal from the Labour government. Proposal. Yeah. Because I don't particularly want to buy a house that maybe like what 20 years ago. There's a lot of profit in that house at the moment. So how much, I don't want to give you houses away at a discount. Yeah. Um, that worries me more than anything. Yeah. Um, can, we, can we have a fixed term contract on the rent for every six months? Do you stick them all out? 
Um, so I, I, think, I think the issue uh, is going back to that abolishment of the Section 21. Um, I, I think it's more of a headline grabber. Um, I can't say it's never going to happen with the Labour government. I mean, the Labour have got to get into power first. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't know is the yeah. answer. It's, you know, all we can do is pass on as much information as we hear and know to give you as much advance warning so that when, it, it, when and if something like that happens, you had an inkling it was going to happen. So, but there's always a lead in time anyway, so it's, you know, you can get out quick, I imagine. So, so you can get your Section 1 uh, form, Section 6A form. Yeah, I can I can see that potentially when they decide what they're going to do with the section 21, you're going to get a lot. Same with the financial changes. Obviously, with tax liabilities for landlords, we've seen some landlords exit, some landlords will come in. So, um, but there's there's always going to be a demand for private rented property. Not really, but not everyone wants to buy the house that they rent. No. So. Um, very rarely um, do we get tenants actually buying the house that, that, they're, li that they're living in. Um, it's a lot cheaper though. It's like the council and they sold Yeah, and now the council are buying properties back. At the market rate. Right. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. they've got money to burn the council, that's the trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. question at the back there quickly. Political now. Yeah. Again, you still, we still got uh, uh, NMR for mortgages um, and, and the sensible lending. So you've got all different factors, and who's going to stump up that? Who's going to stump up that, that, that discount? Is it going to be a similar thing to maybe help to buy? Um, as to what's offered with new builds potentially, so that that may be that may be an option. Again, it's just it's one of these things. That it, it's there to try and be a voting, I think, for for, ten, for tenants. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say, unless something drastic happens, um, I'm not talking about Brexit again. Unless something drastic happens, as an investor you're more than likely going to get better returns on your property than you are in a bank. It's as simple as that. So weighing up those odds and the amount of years that you have a property and the amount of money that it earns you, sometimes you just have to wipe your mouth and go, you know what, I earned a good, a good earning out of that one. Um, let's not be greedy. But uh, Riley, one more question, please. Luke is obviously available on request in the other room at the end. Um, so he'll be able to answer any questions. Slightly overrated question. I know that Mike's been really keen to recently look at this because mm. he's right. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of flight between going on. I don't know if you agree that it looks as though it's made from the landlord. It's kind of different to have the benefits. But it's quite a feature now. Can, can I answer this one? Yeah. Unless you've got anything specific you want to say. Um, no, I mean, all, all, we're, we're working work closely with a group called the South Leicestershire Litter Wombles who are trying to work with the council to. Um, to try and address the litter picking issue or the litter issue but also the fly tipping issue as well 
Um, I know that uh, Bob, who's kind of like head Womble, um, I know that he's um, trying to meet with the council and they've sent in some questions about to propose to, to the group members and that kind of thing. So, um, but um, no, I don't know any more about the kind of the slightest thing. So I think, are you referring to what was posted on the Clarendon Park community? Yeah, but I see it every day when I go to Okay, so... Over the last few weeks where I've been going around preparing and looking after our landlords, HMOs, getting ready for the students to arrive. Students have arrived, for those people that don't know. Um, for those people that live in Clarendon Park, anywhere near any students, you will know that they are now here. Um, most of them are pretty good, but I noticed as I was going around having things delivered to houses and having things taken away, that there are a lot of things that seem to get put outside the houses Fortunately, most of it is bulk collected and taken away. There's one particular house at the moment that's still got some outside. I'm sure that will be taken by the council because it is quite a mess. A lot of it doesn't look like fumes because it looks like toilets and actual plastic. Yeah, yeah, sadly. I mean, I, I, just, I'm going to move on pretty quickly because I know you're probably bored of me by now. But I had a situation where we'd done some work on a house. There were some items that were left over. Um, I knew what those items were. I said to the students, really good guys they are, I said, listen, that was put out there prior to bin day. The council took the bin. They didn't take the other stuff, even though it was bagged up, and there was a few bits and bobs. I said, I will come back personally at the weekend, last weekend, and I will take that away for you. They said, thank you very much. It's no problem. So I went down on Sunday morning, as soon as the tip opened, and there was more stuff, and I went, God, students where they got this bomb lengths of iron gutter in everything else so put the seats down in the car piled everything in took it off down the tip did my thing that goes in that bin that one in that one so on and so forth a bit later on i sent them a little message because we have these groups that we're in for our, our tenants and our landlords and our and our sellers i said listen all that stuff's gone because i didn't expect it was about 12 o'clock when i didn't expect them to have looked outside at this point and uh, it was a sunday so I said, listen, I took all that stuff. By the way, where did the guttering come from? Because I'm a bit concerned that this guttering is no longer on the house. And they went, we haven't put anything out there other than what was already there. So whoever's house that was that I removed all the rubbish for, <laughs> you're welcome. So, um, as I said, we'll, we'll move on because one thing I will do is apologise for the heating area. I don't know if you guys are hot, but I'm incredibly hot. Might be something to do with my sleep build. But... Um, we did ask them to turn the air conditioning right down. The other room's lovely, but in here it's warm, so I do apologise for that. Um, we're going to move on. We, we invited Alan along, or Jason, to uh, talk about auctions for one reason, because we have a property that we're going to release today. Now, it's slightly different. Luke's going to talk to you about it, because I've not actually been to this property myself. Um, it's different in a way that although it's going into the auction, we can't give you a start date yet because we're having the uh, legal pack put together. The legal pack um, is going to be slightly different in this case because the property itself has been previously a doctor's surgery and the guys that own it have just put in planning to turn it back into a normal residential house. So once that's ready, we'll be able to, or at least we know when it's going to be ready, we'll be able to release the property for auction. But it is going to be available to view from now. So you can get in early. It's a good price, and I'll hand over to Luke to tell us a little bit about that property and what happened next door. Yeah, so this one is on Saffron Lane in Elston, so it's just beyond the Port Pie Island as you're leaving Leicester. 
Um, and we uh, actually had the neighbouring property, which we sold successfully, which has got planning permission on, uh, for nine apartments to be built, which all got passed, nine one-bedroom apartments. This site is wider, um, so I feel there is a better scheme um, that you could propose for that site. Um, and given the precedent set with next door with, with planning approval, um, it's just suggesting a, a suitable scheme, which I'm more than happy to talk with anyone that's interested. Obviously, we're, we're going to be doing viewings uh, at the property. Um, it's a great opportunity. Um, when we've looked at our figures, we're potentially looking at a GDB of around 1.2 to 1.4 um, as a conservative level. Um, if you're a bit more creative, you might be able to pump that GDB up a little bit more, but I'd like to rather give you conservative figures that are realistic so that um, there's never going to be a problem in selling them at those levels rather than giving you a high figure to say, well, we're never going to achieve that or why haven't we sold them? So on that one, just remember, um, you can buy during the auction. It'll be online initially, then it'll be going into the room. Once it reaches a suitable level, the owners do have the right to stop the auction at any time. So don't do like eBay and wait till two minutes before the end of the auction and start putting your bids in because you'll be disappointed. I'll be surprised if this reaches the end. Um, I'll be very surprised if it goes into the room if it gets to the 22nd of October. Um, and also with that one, it is going to be on the basis that you have 28 days to exchange. So although you'll be required to pay a deposit if your bid is successful, you will have 28 days to get your deposit together, get your mortgage in place before exchanging contracts. Okay, I've got all the information for you, or more information for you out there. Um, let's see, I think we're going to, you've talked about that one yeah. really, haven't you? So that was the neighbouring site with the apartments, um, with the GDV of just over one, one million. Um, it did sell pretty quickly. I think we launched it at the last, the one in March, didn't we? I think so. They're, so, they're broken ground already now, haven't they? Yeah. So that's good. Um, next new property available, something a little bit different. Um, this is on Victoria Park Road. It's three flats um, on one title, so they can't be split. They're bringing in a return at the moment 18,000. Um, what else can I tell you, really? The figures are all there. Again, I've worked out the repayments for you mortgage-wise, but you will get better if you speak to my friends here, the mortgage advisors, I'm sure they'll do better for you. Uh, that's uh, something different for you. And this one, very different. I'll tell you why I threw this one in. This was given to me by Aaron. Doesn't look much. Go and have a look at the other pictures I've got. This is absolutely stunning inside, this property and it is um, a flat, it'll give you a good return and it's a sort of flat, when you see inside it's so nicely done the first person that goes in I'm sure will rent it and you'll be able, it'll be one of those steady rentals, you'll keep renting it over and over again and it'll give you good, and you can dip your toe at that sort of, that sort of figure yeah, so something a bit different there for you Luke, do you want to tell us about this one? Okay, so the, these, haven't, these apartments haven't been released until this evening, so you get the first opportunity for them um, with ourselves. So uh, seven apartments on Cavendish Road, uh, 95 and 97 Cavendish Road, uh, projected annual income at £47,100. Um, we've got 
just to give you a bit of an idea. So we've got the covered um, um, parking, which we go through this uh, entrance, and then we've got six parking spaces. Um, there is solar, so there is one flat uh, on the top floor at the back that will have solar, and there's a, one of the news properties at the back that will have solar as well. Um, so this is the rear of the building. This is, you can see the parking spaces here. Estimated completion is going to be around end of the year, February. Um, they're expecting end of year, um, but let's say February. Add a little bit. Yeah. Um, so these are the sizes for the apartments. Um, these are the two properties uh, further back. Uh, the one on the left is the larger one at 51 square metres. Um, great location. Uh, university, hospitals, city centre, straight down uh, the road, um, and, and you're there uh, to the university within five minutes by car, get the bus. Um, so that's coming to the market at a price guide at £700,000, going to give you just under 7% as, as a return. Um, when Once Glenn's calculated it out with buying the mortgage. About 50% probably by the time I've worked it out. <laughs> um, so... Anyone that's interested in that, there's no one been taken around to have a look at it. If you're interested, let me know and we can arrange for you to go and see. Um, we are, those photos were taken about a week, 10 days ago. Um, but you are the first people to, to be shown those. Um, this was a development that we had um, at the last investor evening. Uh, three town sorry, four three bedroom townhouses in Wigston um, on Central Avenue, uh, which, which all sold uh, to one buyer. Um, Hi, thank you, Luke. So I would say those, those last ones that Luke just had there, anybody looking or has got space to do that sort of design, how good were they inside? Uh, exceptional. Mm -hmm. Size-wise, fantastic. And the, the ones in the middle that use that extra sort of metre over the archway were huge. I've got a three-bedroom detached house and they were bigger inside as a terrace. Really good sizes. So if anybody is interested in developing anything like that, go for it because they will sell okay thanks Luke so I'm going to finish off now got a couple of bits to show you I just want to talk about HMO standards are changing I'll put there so basically anybody now that's got an average HMO there's a few in the room that know about this already because I've been working with you anybody that's got an average HMO Think about what you're going to do to make it different. Because if you work with us with regard to this, we will give you the help and advice. We're not going to physically put a paintbrush in your hand and make you do it. You could obviously do that yourselves, but we'll give you the help and advice. We've got members of the team that are happy to help with colour schemes and all the things that you need. Katie's looking at me here. Um, but these properties are ones that we have done recently for or with clients and as you can see presentation is king really these properties um, rent for incredible money per week so this is in Stonygate this one we'll show you a short video in a second and these are fetching so the, the, the bigger double there is 120 pounds per week plus bills so when you look at these people that are renting out on average 75, I think some agents are doing 73 for double room plus bills. It doesn't matter whether it's students or professional, we do the same. Treat them all the same. 
because these are all people that are investing in you and giving you money. Okay? You've got to invest back. So let's play. Do I just press play on here, please? Yeah? So this is a video that we did for that property. No sound, unfortunately. Don't stop there. Thank you. Okay, so that was just a short video which we did, not for our benefit, but to rent, rent the property out for the clients. As you can see, that was rented in eight days, four individual rooms with an income that's pretty good. I think the property cost them something like 220000 they spent 17000 on it. Okay, property is nothing special, but the layout worked. Because the layout worked, we could get the rooms, and by doing the rooms to a certain standard, and hats off to the to the owners of the property because they worked. We, we had several discussions in the house of what we were going to do, and they stuck to it. So hats off to them on that one. And here's a couple of before and afters. So a property that um, we had for rent. That was it when we got pictures taken at the beginning, and that was it after the house was dressed and done. That's right, Kate, isn't it? Thank you. So I didn't do that. But, those, but, but that gives you an idea of the standard that you are up against as landlords when you're renting out your student or professional properties. So just come and ask us. We'll tell you. We'll give you as much advice as we can. Okay? So I will finish off now. You will be pleased to know. The next one of these seminars is on March the 19th. Spooky, the 19th again. Um, I just want to thank you all for coming. I do appreciate your time. Hopefully it's been of use to you. You found it useful. Um, all my colleagues are now retiring to the other room and the, the various uh, contractors and people we've got here to help you and have a chat with you afterwards. There is coffee back out in reception, the reception area there. And if there's not enough, we'll certainly get it refilled for you. Have you all found this useful? Yes. Good. Okay. So we've succeeded on that front. We need your feedback. So if you think I talk too much, you can say it. I won't be offended. I will be offended, but I've got broad shoulders. If you if you want us to include, because if you've not been to these before, they're not all the same. We try and get different speakers to talk about different things. So we'll start working on marches already. Um, but obviously we have to leave the legislation bits to the last minute because they keep changing it. But if you've got something that you think would be useful, then probably other people will find it useful as well. So let us know and we'll be happy to try and include that for you. If you've got any questions after this event, you know, you'll have all of our contact details. Most of you know us anyway and how to contact us. Give us a shout. You know, we're never, never too busy to, to speak to people and try and help them where we can. Okay, anything else, Luke? No, just if you'd like any more information on the properties that Glenn's talked about. Yeah, good point. Um, all of those details are available in the room, and if you'd like to arrange viewings for any of them, we've got block viewings already scheduled in, so we'd love to show you around. But thank you very much for coming along, and hopefully we'll see you back in March. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.